from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. With the ink officially dry on the college football season, it's time to dive headfirst into basketball while keeping an eye on what's happening elsewhere in the Gator Nation. On today's show, we'll catch up with sophomore center Kavarius Hayes while also taking an in-depth look at the Gators' blistering 4-0 start to SEC play and the latest news on football with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. But kicking things off today is Kavarius Hayes, a true gentle giant who has taken on a big chunk of responsibility in his second year that includes getting thrust into the starting lineup and being a mainstay there during Florida's current six-game win streak. We started our conversation with the Live Oak native by asking how the team was shaped by their barnstorming tour across Florida during November and December. Well, it was pretty much knowing that you're not going to have a home game, so wherever we go... You know, it's not going to be easy because, um, like, we don't have the, I guess she's like, home court advantage. Mm-hmm. So I guess, like, it helped prepare us in a way for the real away games, knowing, like, getting used to traveling before you play kind of helps adapt the body. Is that the biggest challenge? Is it physical or is it mental being away from home so frequently? Uh, I would say a little bit of both because, you know, like, you don't really get the same comfy bed every night because you're always <laughs> traveling. And also mental because, you know, you're not at home. Mm-hmm. You don't have that atmosphere. Like, everybody's cheering for you. Like, everybody wants you to win. So it's like all the people you really have are those who are on the court with you. In what ways does that then bring the team closer together? Because you're on the road so much and you're spending so much time together. Do you now see the positives of that now that it's kind of in the, the rearview mirror? Yeah, definitely. It's um, helped grow our culture, help bring each other closer together because you know, we know that I'm going to be playing for the guy next to me, and I can trust that they can do the same for me. When you did have the chance to get into the arena for the first time, what was that like? What did you think when you walked in there and saw it for the first time? I was amazed. It, it didn't even look like the same arena, really. <laughs> like, being out there on the court, like, not even, like, during the game, like, mm-hmm. just, like, seeing all the changes and everything that's been done to it, and it just looks like it's made just for us. There's so much talk about in recruiting facilities and how important that is. You were a recruit not too long ago. What does having an arena like that do for a program, especially when people are coming in and they're comparing you to other schools? Oh, it definitely feels more professional. You know, like, wow, they have, like, all these nice things. You know, they must be doing, like, something really well here. Mm-hmm. And we are. We're, like, making big things happen. I feel like we can do a lot this year and, like, having everybody see that our efforts pay off. One of the things they designed about this new arena was to have the lights really on the court and everything else sort of dark in the way that Madison Square Garden is designed. You had a chance to play Madison Square. I'm not sure how similar they are, but what was it like playing in MSG as I'm sure one of the highlights of your young career? Uh, it was great, you know, like knowing that the mecca of sports mm-hmm. and like so many great things happened there. So many great players have gone and played there just to be a part of that. Just know that I was there too, like not as a spectator, but as a player. When you think back about your time in basketball, when did you first get into the sport? Do you remember your early days and when you first really committed <laughs> yourself to basketball? Um, I guess I, I really committed myself eighth grade. That's when it became more than just a game to me. It's like I, I love to play now. The competitive spirit about it, you know, I don't like to lose. <laughs> and it's just like 
it's just so fun. I know you traveled a lot when you were growing up because your mom was a captain in the Army. So what was that like in terms of basketball being sort of a refuge, something you could always have that could connect you to wherever you were? Well, because basketball being like a team sport, you need people next to you. So like bonding was easily done because through all the running you had to do, it's, <laughs> it's easy to rely on people next to you and just like build that quick bond. And all of a sudden, just like that, I have new friends everywhere I go. When you think about your basketball career, who's had the biggest impact on you? Is it one particular coach? Was it somebody here? What, what do you think of when you think about that? I feel like it's been a lot of people, you know, throughout my journey. Um, from Pennsylvania to when I came here, my high school coach, my AAU coach, and my mom, you know, everybody's played a part in kind of helping me turn the dream I have into a reality. Is there anybody in particular that really helped you develop a certain set of skills or, or at a critical part of your development really put you on the, the right path? I would say my high school coach, because uh, during eighth grade, I became good friends with his son. Mm -hmm. And then from then, he was like, kind of helping me out and I didn't even know I was going to be living with him for the next four years at the time but it's like definitely he definitely helped me out because eighth grade I was clumsy you know grew too tall too fast didn't know what to do he he helped me out so you, you said you lived with him for four years yeah because my mom had deployed again and I didn't want to live with my aunt so like I asked him and I got a response I wasn't expecting and this was in, in Live Oak, correct? Yeah, it was in Live Oak. So then what was it like living in Live Oak with your basketball coach and having your mom being overseas? I mean, how did how did you cope with that? Um, open communication. You know, even though she was away, she still had, like, certain hours that she could access Facebook. And we'd catch up every now and then. And on those special occasions, she'd have, like, Magic Jack phone. She can actually give me a call. And it was, like, continuous contact kind of helped me get through it. When you're living with the coach, how much more important does basketball become at that point? I mean, you, I guess you're you're right in it all the time. How did that affect your development? I mean, it's like definitely a basketball household. He's got two other sons that also play, so hmm. I always have people to play against when I did want to play and help me get better by having somebody to practice with, and they love the game uh, just as much. Mm -hmm. So like they would be up to the idea of going to play if I asked them. You really broke out a lot at the end of your freshman year, especially during the NIT. Johnny Bunu gets hurt, and you have to step up in that role. How important was what happened at the end of last season propelling you forward into this year? Uh, I feel like it was a proving point for myself. You know, I was just, like, wondering, like, what else can I offer? And then there was my chance, and now I see that, like, I can fit in in college. Like, you know, it's, like, not just mm -hmm. uh, a what-if thing. It's, like, I can actually – feel like I belong here and that kind of like what helped spur my uh commitment over the summer and then now like trying to do what I can this year going off of that what did you then focus on the most during the summer and, and during the off season? um whatever coach needed like putting on weight was a big thing like lifting lifting weights trying to get stronger and working on um, my game a little bit Dorian was such an important part of this team last year in terms of leading and everybody would mention him when asked who sort of runs the show with Dorian having moved on Who's picked up that slack on this year's team? I feel like it's been mostly Casey. You know, um, I don't know if he, like, feels like he has to or not, but uh, he's he's helped, you know, like, kind of keep the tempo. Like, knowing when we're slacking in practice, he'll, like, say something to get us mm -hmm. all going. And other times it's just, like, bits and pieces. Everybody, everybody is a leader 
we respect everybody equally. So whenever they have something to say, everyone listens. Like, no one's really left out. When you come in as a freshman, you've got a lot of responsibility. You've got class. Then you've got a lot expected of you on the court as well. Now that you look back on that first year that you were here, what did you learn from it? In, in what ways did you grow the most? Um, as far as, like, learning responsibility. You know, time management is something you really got to pick up on quickly when you get here because, like you said, between classes and basketball, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of hard to handle sometimes, especially when you're trying to fit in a social life. It's um, just, like, learning where the pieces fit. This team's enjoyed a lot of success so far this year, especially in the SEC. What do you think the difference is? What, what do you see this year that's allowed this team to be more successful than last year? It's like the will to win, but not, like, for yourself, like for everybody because mm-hmm. everybody wants to win. So it's not so much as selfishly thinking, what can I do so that we can win? It's like, what can we do to win? And so when everybody starts buying into that, and I feel like we did a lot, did a lot more of that this year, and I think that's, like, the biggest change. How much of it do you attribute also to having the second year for this staff? I know you never knew a different staff, but for everybody else that was already part of the program, just another year gelling with this group of people, how important has that been? Uh, pretty good. You know, like um, learning to trust mm-hmm. each other because, like you said, it is only staff that we've had. And I feel like we've grown close because we understand that the coaches will, won't do anything to hurt us. They're doing everything they can to try to help us. And it's like just buying into that. You mentioned trying to fit a social life into the very busy schedule that you have. So when you do have time for that social life, what do you like to do? How do you keep yourself busy off the court? Um, video games is probably a big thing. I've heard a lot about that. It's NBA 2K, right? Yeah, that's right. And I've heard about those battles. <laughs> Who's winning those battles these days? Uh, usually it's usually it's Keith, but I, I hear lately uh, Kayvon's been winning. Okay, and, and yeah. I hear he wins bowling too. Oh, yeah, bowling. You don't, you don't want to mess with Kayvon in the bowling alley or yeah, in 2K. Yeah. Kayvon kind of has bowling. I'm like a close second. You're close. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but he's got bowling. Is that among things to do in Live Oak? Bowling is probably top of the heap, right? Right, right. You know, whenever, <laughs> whenever the guys want to do something, it's either go eat or we go bowling, one or the other. What is Gainesville like for you compared to Live Oak? Gainesville must be a metropolis compared to what you were used oh, to in, de- in Live Oak. Definitely. Live Oak, <laughs> there wasn't really much there. Like, there's like no mall. We got like a sort of a bowling alley but then other than that investing the hat was walmart last week was 90s night for your sec opener what is your favorite relic of the 90s if you even remember the 90s now that i think about it <laughs> it was um will smith will smith was actually kind of funny though because they say that he's my what is it he's your your celebrity doppelganger celebrity doppelganger you get yeah. will smith yeah, I got really? Will Smith. I was like, what? I don't know if I get Will Smith. Exactly. So I was like, it's, yeah. it's like a little off. It's a compliment, I guess, right? I, yeah. But what era Will Smith are you, ta- are you talking like? Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince Will Smith. Okay. Yeah. So we're not talking like big movie star. We're, no, we're no, talking about no. earlier than that. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. I want to know what the last movie you saw in theaters was. Uh, Assassin's Creed. Oh, you saw Assassin's Creed? Yes. So it's not enough to just play video games. You got to go watch movies about, about video games. That's right. I played, a, I played a whole entire uh, series. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, okay, so basketball, video games, bowling, is that, that's about it? Yeah. Um, eating. Waffle House is a big thing. <laughs> so it's not enough to just play basketball. Then you got to play basketball, video games. And then so Assassin's Creed is you're, you're mixing that in, right? That's how you get yeah. away from basketball. Yeah. It doesn't just get to be too much, right? I mean, if you're playing, you're practicing, you still want to go home and play basketball, video games too? It depends on if we're in the mood. Like, depends what the mood is. Trying to... Trying to get this whooping real quick. Okay. <laughs> I got you. Final thing for you. What are you really focused on with this team? What do, you, what do you think you guys need to work on the most right now? I feel like we can get better in defense. 
we're really good at times, but it's like trying to produce that consistent effort on defense, I feel, is like our next step. And what about for you personally, in your development, what are you focused on right now? I would say more one-on-one defense because um, I feel like I'm pretty good at help defense, like seeing like when a teammate needs help. But as far as like guarding the ball straight up, I do good at times, but not all the time. So I need to like work on that. Tuscaloosa was an interesting place for the Gators to play this week as they arrived on Monday night just before the national championship game and then dealt another blow to the tide with the win in Coleman Coliseum on Tuesday. We sat down with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter for our weekly roundtable and started with a look back at Florida's second SEC road win. The game was a bizarre game. I mean, Florida was up by 18 points in the first half. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, uh, they just go into this incredible cold spell. Alabama gets hot, and Alabama's not a high-scoring team by any stretch of the imagination. Next thing you know, they're they're down six. And then Keystone steps up. Uh, Again, it's a a different guy every night, it seems like, for this team. I mean, against Tennessee, you had Kayvon Allen. Justin Leon had a career night. It was Kane and Barry the game before that. Um, This time it happens to be Keystone, who hadn't had a double-figure game in six games. He hits uh, a couple big threes in the second half. Um, Gators make free throws. Um, Mike White, to his credit, uh, rolls out this uh, 1-3-1 defense mm-hmm. that really kind of kind of set the tone. And, and there were some tip balls and some steals. And you, know, you got to give Casey Hill uh, uh, an incredible amount of credit for the way he's leading this team right now and stuff in the box score. And, again, it was a game of, of adversity. Alabama's not a great team. I thought they were a better team than, than I saw play out last night. They are balanced team a really good defensive team really good rebounding team but that was a tough win on the road you know you're down six uh you got some you got the adversity you're facing and they bonded together and Casey Hill said after the game we never once thought we were going to lose the game guess kept telling each other that we knew we were going to win the game and we did and um this team is uh has really matured relative to last year Mike White said after the game and he has said this a couple times this year I don't know that we win this game last year under these circumstances, but uh, that's a credit to the players. It's certainly a credit to the coaching staff on Florida's 4-0 in SEC play with a home game coming this weekend against Georgia. Well, like Chris said, there was points in that game where you could easily see it getting away. I mean, a team usually who blows an 18 lead usually doesn't win the game. I mean, you're mm-hmm. going to see very few right. blown 18-point leads in college basketball and that team coming back to win. But, uh, you know, in Chris's story, he mentioned really why. I mean, Keystone had a big game. Obviously, Canyon Barry hit that late three. But more than anything, they're just getting production from different guys on different nights, and uh, that's a sign of a good team. Uh, I think Mike White's exactly right, Chris. I don't think this team wins this game last year. Uh, I thought they really showed something last night that maybe could really be a good indicator later in the season. I mean, that's that's some real adversity there when you when you blow that lead on the road mm-hmm. and you get down yes, a few, yes. and then you come back and and win. I mean, that's that's adversity. I wrote a story in advance of this Alabama game. It was all kind of based on what happened from the Tennessee game over the weekend, which was something a game similar to this one a little bit. Only it was at home. Tennessee was kind of in control, playing tougher. Mm-hmm. Florida kind of manned up a little bit and ended up taking that game out. But uh, Rick Barnes made a point after the game. You can tell by the chemistry of this team, this is a different team than it was a year ago. And like Avery Johnson from Alabama and like Rick Barnes uh, from Tennessee, those two teams handled Florida pretty well last year. So I talked to a couple guys. I talked to Devin Robinson. I talked to Casey Hill. 
And Devin Robinson had this to say to me. He said, we had a lot of ego issues last year. It opened a lot of guys' eyes, including mine. I've realized that if we're going to be successful this year, it can't be about me. Guys have good games and bad games. I'm happy my teammates were able to come out and pick me up and get us a win. Now, that's after he just he got benched in that game because his defense wasn't very good. So to have this kind of perspective, Casey Hill, uh, another one, he had something very similar to say. His quote was, it sounds simple, but it's hard to overcome. He's talking about getting out of yourself. He said, you have your parents, the fans, your old coaches telling you all this stuff about uh, what you have to do to get to the next level. Instead, you just have to realize that winning as a team is one of those things that can help you get to the next level. It's more fun, and we're enjoying this right now. Now, that was the day before the Alabama game. Then they go out and basically carbon copy all these thoughts, you mm-hmm. know, and how they produce that Tennessee win, and they do it on the road against Alabama. I think it shows incredible maturity and incredible growth of his basketball team. Mike White said as much, and these guys are in a really good place right now in terms of camaraderie and chemistry, and Casey Hill is at the forefront of that. He's the guy running the huddles. You can see him leading out there, and they haven't had this. They didn't have it last year, and they certainly didn't have it the year before in Billy Donovan's last season, and I'm not throwing shade at Dorian Finney-Smith by any stretch of the imagination. He's a great player and his teammates loved him but there's a little addition by subtraction with him in that there's not one alpha male kind of guy everyone's got to look to everybody else everyone has to pick everybody up I mean Kayvon Allen had six points yesterday he was two Mm -hmm. seven from the field Alabama face guarded him and denied him the ball someone else got to go play someone else got to go score and that's exactly what happened good for them and it seems like you know as far as the addition by subtraction idea last year in a lot of cases People were waiting around for Dorian Finney-Smith to go make the play, to go win the game. Without that, I think some people would say, well, you don't have the go-to, but it seems like Kayvon Allen is the go-to, and yet you have other guys who will step up in the right moment when it's, it's their time well, and, and they've got an opportunity. And, and last year, Avery Johnson did, and his defense did to Dorian Finney-Smith what they did to Kayvon mm-hmm. Allen. They said, we're, we're denying you, and in some cases they, and they were denying Devin Robinson the ball or even Justin Leon at some point, and they're saying, all right, we're going to play three-on-three. Three. Those guys aren't even touching the ball. We think we have a better chance to beat you that way. Exactly the same plan as last year except this one's on the road, and they figured out how to win. That's progress for this team. And they're 13-3. and three. They're three losses to top 10 teams. They lost to Florida State by four. And we saw what Florida State did to Duke last night, smashed them by 16 mm-hmm. at Tallahassee. So um, some impressive basketball being played and an impressive job right now being done, I think, by Mike White. I think Scott would agree with that. I totally agree. I think last night, personally, was their biggest win, at least most impressive win under him. Mm-hmm. Can't overemphasize Losing the 18-point lead on the road. Yes. And to be able to do what they did, I think you can mark that down as uh, maybe his most important win. And and wins like that, they impact players' confidence. Uh, And it's just a good team. I think there's, like, Chris, 13-3, and 4-0 in the SEC. Remember, they went to Arkansas and won, too. Mm -hmm. I think uh, there's there's some people sleeping on them right now, but I think they have a real chance to surprise a lot of people uh, as the year gets deeper. And now at this stage, Chris, you're 4-0 in the SEC – you're on the edge of the top 20, this is where you sort of lose the sleeper status, right? Now people are paying attention to what Florida is doing, and they're aware of how good this team is. So what's the answer to that? What challenges does that bring with it that Mike White and his staff are going to have to address? And I think it's what they'll say. Don't get too full of yourself just because, you know, you're undefeated in in the league, just because you are approaching, like you said, 
top 20 status and what have you. But the best thing about this team, they know they're far from perfect. They know they don't have, like, sheer star power. Kayvon mm-hmm. Allen's the closest thing to that, and we saw what can happen to him on a given night. But they have weaknesses. They are a bad defensive rebounding team. But they are a very, very good defensive team that has the ability to do different things, whether in man and certainly in that 1-3-1 zone with length. They really flustered Alabama trying to pass the ball over those over those hands last night. So White is figuring some things out about his team. Players figuring out some things about themselves. I think they just got to keep it real, keep it low-key, and just understand that this is about the collection of them, not about one guy. And it's the collection of them that is playing like that that has taken them where they are right now. We had a chance to talk to Kavarius Hayes earlier in the podcast, and really seems like he's coming into his own, and now that he's been thrust in the starting position, what have you seen out of him in terms of his development and what he means to the team here as a sophomore? Well, he's the same guy every day. He's the same guy every game. His stats may not reflect that per se, but he doesn't care whether he starts or not. Now, having said that, when Johnny Bunu hurt his hamstring a few weeks ago, they moved Hayes into the starting lineup, and Bunu missed two games. Gators haven't lost since. Uh, you got to give Johnny Boone some credit for handling that the way he's handled it. I'm sure he's kind of frustrated not playing as many minutes as he has. But uh, Hayes just goes about his business. Uh, doesn't care if he's scoring or anything. He's just he's just going to play hard. He's going to do his job. There's some things he still gets pushed around a little bit by bigger guys. But uh, he is a tremendous asset to the program. He's a classic four-year player here at Florida. He's just getting better and better. Great defensive player. Great hustle guy. Just uh, needs to keep on the track that he is on. And you talk to him, he's a very level-headed guy. He was senior class president at Swanee High School in Live Oak. So that sort of thing is not going to be an issue with him. So players love him. The coaches love him. He's producing, and credit to him. What can you tell us about this Georgia matchup? Is fans you ready for that on Saturday back here in Gainesville? Well, J.J. Frazier is a fourth-year senior. He's good on the ball defender, excellent three-point shooter, four-year player there. So uh, Georgia's going to see this as an opportunity, obviously, and Florida, again, has to keep things kind of level-headed. Guys are going to be fired up. I think the Rowdy Reptiles, that may be a camp-out game for them. But, but I, I tell you what, they've had three games in there. They've all been sellouts. I think the atmosphere has been fantastic. The blackout, I think. Players loved it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the fans loved it. The Rowdies certainly were very much into it. So they need to get that place back to, you know, it's only going to be their fourth home game. So mm-hmm. yeah, get, get that place back into that pit mentality that the Gators have enjoyed over the years. Before we move on from basketball, we're talking about adversity a little bit. Can you talk about the adversity in Tuscaloosa that you guys faced when you got stuck in a little bit of a, a sticky situation there? We didn't get stuck in the situation. Well, you were, I mean, you invite, were a part of a we, sticky situation. <laughs> well, I mean, you're in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, the night of the national championship game. I mean, you're going to go out. So mm-hmm. went out with some friends, people from the traveling party, and a uh, shout-out to uh, Florida's strength conditioning coordinator, Preston Green, who is as good as anybody in the country at his job. He's a Clemson graduate. And we were in a Tuscaloosa uh, uh, establishment, and uh, you know he was very proud the Clemson won the game. So g- good for him. He had he, he had every reason to be proud they won the game. You guys watch the game; it's one, the, it's one for the ages. Mm-hmm. I mean, Did Preston what, get kicked out, or yeah, we didn't get kicked out. Did no. anything noteworthy happen as a result of bringing a big Clemson was, fan into an Alabama bar? I mean, w- some stares and okay. maybe some shouts our way, but nothing. There was never never any threat of anything. But I will say this: the next morning we woke up. And our hotel was in a total lockdown because two blocks away, a credit union was being robbed. That's and there was what a I was hostage situation. Yes. There was a hostage situation. And I, now I don't know if that guy was an upset Alabama fan or whatever, <laughs> but we weren't allowed out of our hotel for several hours. And uh, there was at least—I'm not exaggerating here—40 cop cars wow. in the vicinity, keeping people away. And f- luckily for the Alabama uh, campus people, um, school had not started. It was starting the next day. 
so uh, uh, they didn't have to push to get students out of the way or anything like that. But it was an interesting uh, 24 hours yeah. in Tuscaloosa and, you know, great Tuesday night for Florida basketball. Let's turn our attention now to football and the latest news, which starts with Randy Shannon. We speculated this would happen. I think most people believe this was going to be the case. But Randy Shannon officially named the full-time defensive coordinator, Scott, which shouldn't be a surprise and, and should be a really good sign for Florida given what happened in the bowl game. Yeah, uh, as auditions go, uh, Randy Shannon's went very well in the Outback Bowl, as we've talked before. Held Iowa to three points, and uh, it was a pretty easy decision, I think, ultimately for Jim McElwain. Mm -hmm. You have a veteran guy on your staff who knows Florida, veteran defensive coordinator, has been a head coach, recruits the state well, has a lot of contacts in Miami. Uh, So, yeah, it was kind of a, hey, we got this guy on staff. Who can we get better than him? Nobody. I mean, Randy Shannon's got the job, and transition with the players is obviously going to be pretty smooth there. He'll have a different style, I'm sure, than Jeff Collins, but – just from talking to players after the Outback Bowl, uh, seems like you know they liked what he was doing, the way he communicated, and there's still some positions like you know he was linebackers coach also that's still yet to be uh, filled. But uh, I think overall that this transition to Randy Shannon is going to be pretty smooth for the program. We talked a week ago about who is staying, who is going, as that was when all the NFL draft stuff was flying around. The dust has sort of settled now, so let's talk about. Who decided to leave? Who decided to stay? And what that means for Florida's future? Well, you have five players leaving, Adam, which actually ties a program record. I think it's happened two other times. Hmm. Of all the guys that left, I mean, you kind of figured Tease Tabor and Quincy Wilson were going to leave, the two starting cornerbacks. Alex Anzalone was an interesting one because there's a lot of talk that, you know, he's been unable to stay healthy at Florida, but when he has, he's shown NFL talent. Mm-hmm. And he's got his degree. Why not for him, I guess, you know, from his thinking. He wrote a letter saying that he thought, you know, he had done what he needed to do here. He wants to get a shot in the NFL. Um, And then the other defensive player who is leaving is uh, Caleb Brantley, the defensive tackle, which, uh, again, I don't think that really surprised anyone. If there was one surprise, it would probably be David Sharp starting left tackle. He's a junior, uh, you know, reading scout projections I mean Mm -hmm. a lot of people have him as a mid-round or late-round pick a lot of people think maybe he would have been better served to come back another season but you know he decided to leave and uh, it's a loss because he's their most veteran offensive lineman but at the same time I think uh, I think they'll be able to really between him and Austin Appleby the fifth year senior quarterback those are only two losses on offense so it's it's one that they'll be able to overcome I think but yeah some guys are leaving and now they'll just you know, work out and wait till the NFL draft. We'll get to see him again on pro day sometime in March when all the scouts are down. Uh, but it is a transition period right now for the program. It's good to see Marcel Harris decide yes. to come back. That was a, Duke Dawson as well. That, yeah. That's right. But, I mean, Marcel Harris, I mean, you can – there's two just monumental plays of the season that mm-hmm. come to mind, the, and both of them on the goal line stands, uh, the one at LSU, of course, and the one – at Iowa that stopped touchdowns. Uh, I mean, that, that's a nice comeback for him. I mean, if he, if he was honestly considering going out, it's good for him to come back. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I think we've only saw a little potential of what he was able right. to do that second half of the season. I think, as we talked about Duke last week, I think that's a smart decision by Marcel as well. You know, he's been around the game. His dad played uh, here at Florida. He's kind of understands the, the big picture, what it takes to seed in that level. I think you listen to some good advice. So that's who's staying, who's going from the guys we already know. Now the other part of this is the early enrollees. Now the class has started. We have players on campus now who are going to be a part of spring ball. And what can you tell us about them? Yeah, it's going to be a little different than last year, Adam. Uh, you know, remember last year they had 12 
early. It was a ton, yeah. Mid, which was a school record, 12. They got four in right now. You're looking at defensive lineman Kyrie Campbell, tight end Kamor Gamble, who actually uh, just this week, Kadeem Telfer, an offensive lineman from Miami, and then Kadarius Toney, this athlete receiver, played a lot of quarterback from 8 Mile, Alabama, Blunt High School. I didn't realize there was a late 8 Mile, Alabama, <laughs> but there is. I've never been there. Dun, 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 but uh, dun, 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 but bottom line dun, dun, dun. is I'll get the rights to play lose yourself <laughs> in the background of this session. But so that's four new guys they've added. Uh, we just talked about five who left. Maybe there'll be another early enrollee there before uh, the official deadline is to drop ad and with the school. But uh, getting four guys in is important because these guys, as we talk all the time, I mean, getting a mid-year enrollee in it, it just puts them ahead of the curve. They get to participate in spring ball, and come uh, season time, the summer, they'll get to work out, and then they're going to be ahead of the curve on the true freshmen who come in later in the summer. And we saw how that really impacted the program this year because of, of the 12 early enrollees last year. you got to look back. David Reese ended up having a prominent position, mm-hmm. started a lot. Vashon Joseph, yes. again, coming on strong. Uh, Chauncey Gardner, mm-hmm. how can I forget mm-hmm. him, that back bowl MVP. You know, coaches always talk about that, and sometimes you're like, some of those guys, they don't become a factor. Some do. I think in Florida's case last year, it definitely made a difference. Mark Thompson was one of those guys, too. Those Mark Thompson made some big in. plays. All those guys made plays in the, yeah. in the bowl game. All had their moments. Absolutely. So the next deadline now at this point, the next thing we're going to look out for is, is signing day. So we're just a few weeks away from signing day. In between now and then, is there anything we're expecting as far as football news, or is all attention now focused on well, that? I think, I think you will see uh, the linebackers coach position filled. Uh, I think you're going to see maybe an offensive staff hire. It sounds like, you know, it's still in the works. There's still some discussion there. Nothing major, like not any kind of overhaul. Uh, McElwain was asked, you know, down at the Outback Bowl if he foresaw any major changes on his staff. You know, a lot of people are talking about Nussbier. He said no. Uh, they're moving forward. So one thing we've learned about Jim McElwain in his time at Florida, he's always moved at a pretty deliberate pace on these coaching hires. God, I remember when he first got here, it took at least six or eight weeks, I think, for him to actually round out his staff. So, mm-hmm. But I do expect something to come down before National Signing Day. With the conclusion of the college football season and that epic national title game, we also get the final poll. Everyone knows who's on top of the poll. They got every first place vote. Clemson did. They deserve it. But Florida also in an interesting spot that they haven't really been in as of late. Yeah, you know, the win over Iowa made a difference in the eyes of the AP poll voters. And you know, we also talked about going into that game, how they didn't want to avoid the three-game losing streak. So Florida ends up 14th in the AP poll. And, you know, when you first, when I first heard that yesterday and read the poll, I'm like, well, 14, they moved up from 20. So the Outback Bowl, well, then you get to thinking, last seven years, the Gators have only been ranked that high one other time. That was in 2012 when they finished ninth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in McElwain's first year, they finished 25th after the loss to Michigan. And they opened this season at 25. So, you know, you could say they opened at 25, finished at 14, so they made some progress there. The bowl win over Iowa was clearly a, a difference maker. You lose that game, you're probably not ranked. Uh, you know, but in the big picture, they ended up ranked ahead of teams like Louisville or Houston, who mm-hmm. got a lot more press throughout the year, and yet the Gators are ranked high. So that's uh, just another thing that I'm sure Jim McElwain and his staff will stress to his players as positive to potential recruits like, Hey, we're moving in the right direction. We're not where we want to be, but we are moving in the right direction. One guy who seems to always be moving in the right direction is Steve Spurrier. <laughs> and we just found out this week that he is going into the Hall of Fame again as one of only four guys ever 
to be inducted to the College Football Hall of Fame as both a player and now as a coach. He's like uh, like Eric Clapton, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Just keep getting <laughs> inducted with different bands John and different Lennon. groups. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's good. But this is I mean this is this, this is the equivalent of that. I mean there aren't many people who've done what Spurrier has now done. Only three other people, and two of them are household names: Alonzo Stagg and. I'm not sure Amos. Amos. As, as much as you and I know okay. about Amos Alonso, okay. do you think Amos Alonso, Stag, and Bobby Dodd and Wyatt Bowden, either two of those three, are, are household How names? About this? Bobby Dodd's a household name. Well, I, I would, say, but let's. I mean, to, just maybe because I'm from Atlanta. Just, just, I know two, Bobby Dodd. Two of three to people over forty. Okay. Right. How's that? I mean, this Bobby Dodd uh, uh, last coached a game in 66. Wyatt Bowden last coached a game in 62. Amos Alonzo Stagg last coached a game at some college I've never heard of in 1958. I just looked at – I mean, this is this, so relevant, this is rarefied air. I mean, that's why the guy's name's on on the stadium here. Now. Mm-hmm. Just because what for for what he's accomplished, funny because they had him – they introduced him – as the new member of the College uh, Hall of Fame with the as the coach with the Peyton Manning and whoever else and and he was roundly booed at the <laughs> national championship game Monday night by Alabama, Alabama fans, fans and Clemson yeah. fans so you know. and you know <laughs> and you know you're getting booed right. because Both fan it's a compliment like yes. exactly. and you exactly. know he probably enjoyed that somewhere in his psyche oh, certainly because I I watched him earlier when the announcement came out on ESPN he was there at the stadium that morning before the Clemson Alabama game and and the 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 hosts pointed out that. He was eight and three in his career against Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, and <laughs> he he took a little pride in that. He says, "Yeah, you know, I have better players. Yeah, yeah. I beat <laughs> those guys." Yeah, said, <laughs> "What do these guys have?" Like, well, yeah, I have better players. I can beat them. But he's <laughs> that's uh, funny. Yes, it is just again, like Chris said. I mean, it's rarefied air, and you know, you can make a case that Steve Spurrier has lived maybe, if not the most, certainly one of the top two or three. Most uh, charmed lives, charmed he college football new, lives. He should be the new most interesting man in the world, right? Yeah, well, I mean, they need a new one. I mean, he he's done it as a coach, as a player. He's coached a Heisman, obviously. Uh, one of national champions. And you know, Gator fans love the guy. I was at a speaking engagement last night in Lakeland. Scott Strickland was kind of making an introduction to some high boosters, and then this one lady got up and she said, "Look." I am so glad. This happened before Strickland was here, but mm-hmm. she says, as a Gator fan, I am so glad that you guys brought Steve Spurrier back. She said she went to school here when he was a coach. And she talked, like, for two minutes about what this guy means to Gators. And you know what? There's you can, He's probably going to hear that story more than once as he makes this tour. That's just what he means, and uh, it's, it's uh, definitely a one-of-a-kind guy. And that's going to do it for today's show. Remember to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Also, be sure to like our new Facebook page for all of the latest news on the official podcast of the Gators. Check out men's basketball back in Gainesville on Saturday at noon against Georgia and the women's squad as they battle Texas A&M on Sunday at 1. Until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Exact Tech Arena. <laughs>